0: Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that you have given us your word. We ask that you guide us through your word today as we look at it and let us see what you'd have us to see. And we just thank you that you came and died for us. And we just ask you to help us to be able to share that with other people. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew, chapter 15, starting at verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed unto the coast of Tyre and Sidon, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out that same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, you son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not meant to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, True, Lord, but yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is your faith, be it unto you even as you will. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. So here we have the story of uh, what in Ma- in Mark calls the Syrophoenician woman. <laughs> and... Uh, or the Canaanite woman. <coughs> and <coughs> excuse me. She comes to Jesus as he's been ministering. We just got done feeding the four thousand and they come back over and healed people. And she calls out to him, Have mercy on me, O Lord, you son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. She knows his title, she knows his heritage. She knows who it is she's talking to. And you've got to picture this. She is not a Jew, all right? It's nothing in here that says she's a Jew. As a matter of fact, Jesus' answer to her shows that she's not a Jew. She is a Gentile, and yet she knows who he is. <laughs> Lord, you know, Master, and then Son of David, which means she's recognizing that he has the right to be Messiah. He has the right to be king. He has the right to be the ruler of Egypt uh, Egypt yeah Israel and she's giving him more honor than most of the Jews that come out to see him do now Jesus said to them you know you're out here only to see what kind of miracles I'm going to do and how I'm going to feed you next and this person is coming out she wants she wants something but she also knows who it is she's addressing and how many times do we sometimes forget who God is when we address him and that's part of the problem in our day and age is we've gotten very familiar with God, and so, you know there's a lot of people that treat God like he's your best bud, you know? And in one sense, yes, he is. But on the other sense, he's still God. He's holy and righteous, and he wants to have a relationship with us, but not such as you know, uh, hey buddy, how about if we go? You know, and I've heard people actually pray like that. You know, it's like, hey, you know, yeah, yeah, hey dude, you know, come on out and uh, answer this prayer and. You know, very few people have done that, you know, got that way in their prayers. But oftentimes we do that in our prayer life with him anyway. We kind of expect or demand. Have you, have you ever heard somebody or maybe you said to yourself, I told God I needed something or I told God that, that this needed to be done. It's kind of a scary thing to me to tell the God of heaven and earth what he needs to do. And yet we all tend to do it. God, I, I, I need we need this or, you know, even if we're praying for somebody else. And, you know, I think you could do it this way. God, I think you need just a little bit of help. Let me tell you, I know this guy over here who has five cars. And, you know, I really think he should be donating one to me. God, can you, you know, uh, you know, and we start telling God how he should answer our prayer. And, you know, we're not we're not being sacrilegious. We're just, you know, saying, God, I, I, I see how this could happen. You know, can you make it happen? usually it's not going to happen the way we think it should happen uh, because that's not the way God does things and he says to this woman this woman comes and says my daughter is grievously vexed with a devil you know being tormented and we we see in the scripture the torment of the of the demonically possessed how they have schizophrenia they have they get thrown down they get torn up they cut themselves you know, it's kind of interesting as we look at our day and age when we've got all these, especially young people, cutting themselves—that was a mark of demon, demon possession in the scriptures. All the, all these people that are multiple personalities. Again, when Jesus met the man at the tombs, he said, "Who are you?" And go, "We are legion." Uh, you know, and I'm not saying that all these things are demonically, but they are very close to. When you look at the scriptures, you see the same things that it, that pinpointed demonic possession happening today. And you got to wonder how much of it is being disguised as sickness. Well, yeah, instead of going to God to be healed, they go to the doctor. We go to the doctor, yeah. And we do that in America, you know, well, a lot of people won't even pray for healing until they've, they've gone to the doctor, spent all their money to the doctor, found out the doctor has no answers. Then they go, well, maybe I'll go to God and ask for prayer. Yeah. And uh, this is not a good place. And missionaries have have healings all the time. Why? Usually because there's no doctor within 100 miles of them, so they have to depend on prayer. And we see this, and this woman comes to Jesus. And you know, first he ignores her. Uh, You've got to picture this. She's out there, you know, Lord, you son of David, I have, you know, have mercy. My daughter needs healing. She's grievously sick, and she's following him everywhere. Jesus doesn't seem to be bothered by this. The disciples are like... Uh, Okay, God, uh, Jesus, uh, we're getting a little tired of this woman. Would you please at least tell her to go away? Tell her you're not going to talk to her. <laughs> you know, have you ever have you ever done that? I'm not talking to you, so quit talking to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've seen that happen many times. I'm not talking. I'm mad at you. I'm not talking to you. Well, why are you talking to me? I'm not talking to you anymore after this. <laughs> uh, and so they're saying, Jesus, you know, you're not talking to her. Please, just tell her to go away. And we see this also in Acts when. When the woman is following Paul and Barnabas all around, you know, filled with the, filled with the demon, and, and all of a sudden Paul just finally gets tired of it and casts the demon out, which then leads to him being beaten and put into, <laughs> put into jail and all of that at Ephesus. But we see Jesus just ignoring, and the disciples are going, okay, Jesus, uh, we've had enough of this woman. Either heal her or tell her to go away. You know, they're not telling her, but basically that's what they're, you know, at least talk to her, to send her away. And if you aren't going to do that, at least, you know, the implication is if you won't do that, heal her so she'll go away. And uh, so Jesus turns to her and says, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, going, you're not part of the ones I'm sent to. But it's kind of amazing because he's had other places where he's talked to non-Gentiles, but they were always the exception. That, but, and he treats the, the, them somewhat harsh sometimes. And I think it's a bit to test their faith. Are they willing to keep being faithful? And we'd have never heard about them if they hadn't stayed faithful because they would have been the person who asked and he rebuffed them and they walked away rebuffed. How many times does God do that with us? God, I need this, this, this is something I need. And God is notoriously famous for giving you what you need at the last possible moment. Why? So that you know that it's Him. And it also tests our faith. Are you going to be faithful? Are you going to continue praying for something? Most Christians will stop praying after, you know, I prayed, God, I prayed two or three times and you didn't answer, I quit. You read some of these biographies, you read, hear some people's testimonies about people that pray for 20, 30, 40 years for the salvation of a loved one. My Great grandmother prayed for my dad's salvation for 32 years because he got saved when he was 32, and she had her church praying for him most of his life, at least 20 years of it, as he went into the military and started drifting all over the place. She was praying for him. So, you know, how many of us pray that long for anything? How many of us will pray a week for anything? Now, God, I prayed two or three times. You haven't answered. You think it's accurate to say that you said we prayed, we asked? Of course. Yeah, he's always he's always the ultimate in deciding what we need and don't need. Now, like the other people before, they asked like what, uh, example, they asked for a king and Samuel, Samuel. And they got it, in spite in spite of the fact that it wasn't bad. But even then, when Samuel, that God had already told them in, in Deuteronomy that they were going to ask for a king. And and in in. uh Exodus, he says, you're going to ask for a king. This is what a king's going to do for you, and, and he's going to lead you the wrong ways, and he's going to basically take the tithe. He's going to take the best of everything. He already told them what they were going to, what they were going to get when they asked for a king. And yet, they asked for a king. And God said, okay. You know, he told Samuel, you tell them, if they really want this king, this is what it's going to be. Sometimes God will answer a prayer that's not for our good. Because we're persistent enough, that, and we won't be happy without... Whatever it is we're asking for. Which is why we need to learn with Paul to be content with much or with little. Whatever God's given us, we need to learn to be content with. Well, we always have this process, humans have this real big process of saying, I need something to be happy. And it is always false. And if God knows that you will not allow anything but that answer, he'll probably give it to you even though it's going to be bad for you it's a lesson you learn the hard way yeah. if you insist if you insist that this is the only way that you will stop praying for it I will give it to you but you really don't want it people have to understand how many times have I heard that God doesn't answer prayer uh, my answer is a very simple one and it's a, a very old one no is an answer you may not like the answer no but no is an answer and Some of the times it is that God's asking us to continue in prayer. Other times it is we need to be sensitive and discerning to know that God has said no. How do we figure that out? (laughs) Get into God's word and just start listening to to him. Now when you're praying for salvation, I would say keep praying for somebody's salvation. Because there is no absolute no on that one. Because God's desire is that all will be saved. And when we pray for somebody, he'll move heaven and earth to try one more time with that person just before they'll die he'll put another person in front of them and say here's your last chance (laughs) turn and who knows whether they're going to turn or not especially when God starts moving everything for him or her (laughs) but prayer the answer of prayer the Syrophoenician woman is so persistent even when he says I'm not even sent to you I'm not sent to to the non-jews go leave me alone he's rebuffed her And I believe this is purely to say, you know, how much faith does this have? And this woman's been watching her daughter be abused. And she's come to the person that he's heard all the reports of, this man can cast demons out. How persistent would you be? (laughs) You know, going to somebody that says, you know, which is why some faith healers get such a crowd because they get a reputation of being able to do something and people get to that last possible desire and they go, what have I got to lose? This person, this person is, is a healer or casts out demons. And the amazing thing is that God still uses them even when they build, lift themselves up rather than him. And it's so amazing and yet God will say, as long as I get some glory out of this deal, I'll use these people. And there's nothing wrong with a prayer or the healing service and praying for healing, because God heals and still heals. Uh and always remember God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he has done in the scriptures, he is still doing. All right. There's no there's no there's a god, you know, a lot of people say there's a God of the Old Testament, a God of the New Testament. No, there's the same God. God was graceful and merciful in the old testament. And he was strong and harsh in the New Testament as well. If you don't believe it, go read the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to the church, saying they gave all their gift, and they were struck dead, okay? And they weren't the last person in the New Testament age to be struck dead for, for trying to make themselves look like they're doing something they're not, okay? God is still a just and, and, and holy God that will judge sin, harshly if that's what it takes and he would rather use grace and mercy but if you're not going to respond to grace and mercy he will be harsh and angry if that's what it's going to take to turn you he's going to use what it takes so we need to learn to accept his grace and his mercy and not have to get beat up a little bit in in our discipline so he he rebuffs her (laughs) yeah I'm not sent to you go away (laughs) and then it says, then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Two things that really touched Jesus' heart. Worship. Bowed down before him and said, You're God, there's nothing else. I have no other hope. And then you could just hear this, help me. It's not, and it wasn't help me, it's probably very it was a total prayer and a plead. Lord, help me. I have no other. I have no other hope. I need you. And this is what I'm saying. She recognizes who she is who he is. He, she is worshiping him. She recognizes she has no other hope. And she's very persistent. Now, you want to touch God's heart, be persistent. You know, keep keep praying, keep seeking after him. Just make sure it's within his, his will. Healing is usually going to be within his will, but even then. God may be using that sickness or that that disease for some purpose. In this case, he's using it so that the glory of God in this, this testimony up. But prayed for something and then it didn't seem to happen, didn't seem to happen, and then six months later, a year later, three years later, you look back and go, I'm pretty glad I went through that because <laughs> You know, am I glad that I was in pain? Not necessarily, but glad, God, I'm glad how you used it to be a witness. I'm, I'm glad how you used it to grow me, or whatever it might be that you look back and say, God, that was good. You know, on the PowerPoint on Sunday mornings, we have that statement. or No, we don't have it up anymore. We used to have it up. You know, God's perfect will is what I would choose if I knew everything. Okay? If I knew everything that was going to happen to me in the near future and the distant future, I would choose exactly what God puts me through, even if it hurts when I'm going through it. Because I would be saying, I see how this will be the blessing down the road for this person that I'm going to meet. I see how this will be the blessing for these people who are watching as I live out my Christianity, and that they will come to Christ. What would we go through if it meant that one soul would come to Christ? And I ask that seriously. What would I be willing to go through if one person was to come to Christ? Would I die? The, the martyrs that, that in the past thought it was worth it and their testimony has been raised up and led thousands of people to the Lord because they were willing to suffer and die. The apostles were ready to be beaten and, and, and thrown into jail over and over again. So that people would come to Christ, what are we willing to go through if somebody will come to Christ? Paul said that he would be willing to go to hell if God would save the Jewish people. That's a pretty, pretty serious thing, especially for Paul. He knew what hell was all about, and yet he said, "God, if you would just say, if you could save all of Israel, you could send me to hell. I, it would be worth the trade for me for the, for the many." <laughs> to be to saved and go to heaven, and I would take the punishment, basically saying, I, I have the heart of Jesus. Moses said the same thing in, in one time. He goes, God, you know, take me instead of the people. You know, he knew where his destiny was with God. He knew that many of the people would not. And God was ready to strike the entire nation down. And he's going, no, God, take me. I'm willing to go instead of them, because if you take them, many of them are going to hell. I know what happened to me. How much love do we have for the lost? How much love do we have for other people? Are we willing to go through suffering so that they can come to have uh, eternal knowledge with God? Pretty powerful and heavy stuff. And I had that statement on my wall in the office. What is the value of one soul? Yeah. And this is a very strong thing for us to understand. How much do I value one soul? What am I willing to do? Am I willing to look like a fool for Christ if somebody was to come to Christ what stops us from witnessing most of the time we don't want to look like a fool we don't want to look silly we don't want to look foolish so most of us aren't really even worth we're anxious enough for, for the value of the soul to say I'm willing to look foolish and what does it mean to look foolish in front of somebody for a short time the worst thing about that is when they stand before the white throne judgment if you did not share the gospel and nobody else got through to them, they might just look at you and say, why didn't you tell me? Especially if it's a loved one or a friend. Can you imagine your best friend standing before the white throne judgment headed toward hell, looking over at you and saying, you never shared this with me? We hung out all the time. We went to parties. We went, you know, we talked a lot. We went out to dinner, and you never told me that this was where I was headed? You know, that's a pretty sad place to be. The Syrophoenician woman is being persistent. I know you're not called, but I have no other hope. Help me. This is what God is looking for from all of us. God, I have no other hope. All my trust is in you. All my trust. That's what it means to be able to put your full faith in God. All my trust is in him. If he does not do it, I'm without hope. Now, sometimes he'll give us the power to do things on our own. But you know, we need to be praying for him and find out that that's what he does. I've shared with many, with uh, over many times when, when I was living with practically no money coming in and, and God was paying the bills, many times it meant that I had a lot of hard work to do. He'd put a job in front of me and I, and I had to go do some work. Very rarely did he send a check in the mail just out of the blue. Now, that did happen, <laughs> That happened, but if all I did was sit at home waiting for checks to come in the mail, my bills would not have been paid. When I got the call, uh, I need this set up on my computer, or I need this program put in, I just bought a new computer, I would go and, and make my 30, 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks. You know? And sometimes God's gift was, came in the, in, the, in the way of hard work. Occasionally it came in with just a gift right out of the blue, but those were the, not the norm. And we need to be humble enough to accept those kind of gifts. And But God will come in at the last moment and he'll do it in such a way that you know that it's him that did it. And, you know, I recognize that those little jobs that came my way were God orchestrating those jobs and I just had to be willing to take them. And this woman is being persistent and Lord, help me. I have no other hope. All my trust is in you. The problem for most of us, especially in America, is we don't trust God. Uh, Many people trust the government. You know, God, I want my, my, my government check at the beginning of the month or whenever, whenever they come nowadays, they kind of scattered them across the month. But, God, I'm waiting for my government check. Uh, in, in the government do I trust, not God. Yeah. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that as long as it's the right reasons and the right checks. But the question is, who is our trust in? Is my trust in that or is my trust in other things? But, you know, we we need to be very careful about giving God glory and seeking and putting our trust in him. Because it's easy to put our trust. A lot of people put their trust in their, the company they work for. You know, I, you know, I'm hoping to have this job for the rest of my life. Well, unfortunately, that may not be the best thing in the world. Plus, it's not unusual to lose your jobs. Have a company go out of business, be laid off, uh, whatever it might be. But again, is our trust in God? Who do we trust? And are we willing to give him his portion? You know, I have learned over the years that I'm going to tithe. And you know I've told people over the years I do much more than the tithe because God is blessed and honored. But, you know, he says that he expects the tithe. And there are a lot of people who say, well, God never, never t- said to tithe in the New Testament. And I will agree. Paul said, though, you need to be a cheerful giver Jesus intensified all the laws. So my idea is if you're not tithing, how much more than the tithe are you giving? Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery within your heart. If you're angry with a brother without cause, you've committed murder. And he intensified the laws. So my, my statement, people say, well, they never said to give the tithe. I go, okay, fine. Jesus intensified the law. How much more than the tithe are you giving? You want to follow that logic? How much more than? Malachi says, "You put your money in, in bags with holes in them because you're, you've you've stolen from God and and not honored him." And I and I've said and I interpret that to be God takes His tithe whether you give it to Him or not. He takes it, and usually He takes more than the tithe when He takes it from you. And when you're unwilling, He takes more than the tithe. So God will end up taking it one way or the other. You know. Uh, when you tithe, great things happen. You know, sometimes you get extra gifts coming in. You find this set, you go to the store with only so much money, and you come hit the hit the store on a day that they're having a big sale, and you end up buying twice, almost twice as much as you would have bought. Uh, you find great deals on what you what you want. You know, all kinds of things that happen when you honor God. And I have never been hurt by honoring God, even when we were making practically nothing. We tithe. Now our checks, our our tithe plus was not much. <laughs> but we tithed and now that we're making a lot more money, we still tithe plus and <laughs> it's a bigger check and God still honors it. Now, the tithe plus now is a little harder sometimes because we look at that and go, we could have paid a couple bills with this tithe plus, but, but it's still honor God. And this is why if you look at the studies, poor people tend to tithe. Wealthy, the more wealthy somebody is, the less likely they are to tithe. And it makes perfect sense to me, when you're poor, your tithe is 10 or 20 bucks, maybe 30 bucks. What can you really do with you know, 20 or 30 bucks? Well, you might be able to get a tank of gas or something, but in reality, what does 20 or 30 bucks do? So you say, okay, God, here, you have it, I'm gonna, you, know, you, you promised to bless my tithe. Well, if you're making $5,000 a month, all of a sudden your tithe is $500. And it's like, uh, God, this is my car payment. This is the insurance payments. This is the all the utilities. Uh, you know, and it makes it's a little harder to give that bigger amount. And yet God says, "Give it, and I'm going to bless you." Anyway, and you know, the wonderful thing, and it's something I've heard a long time ago. You can't outgive God. You give God. Whatever it is you've promised to give him, and and he'll give back. Pressed down, shaken together. Not necessarily always in money. Not. It could be in eternal blessings from the way the church gets to use that money. It could be the the eternal blessings that you helped keep a pastor on staff, and and that person was able to work full time and devote themselves to ministering. <coughs> but it's also the little blessings. Yeah. When. The few times I have not given my tithes, I've always run out of money before the end of the month, always. So over the years, I've learned very much. Give my tithe and the money, not always money left over by the end of the month, but there's always all the bills paid by the end of the month, and there's not bills left at the end of the month. Why? Honor him. Seeking him and being fully trusting in him. And sometimes those checks are hard to write. Sometimes those, you look at that and go, man, God, this is a lot of money. Yeah, this is a lot of money. I don't, you know, I could do a lot of money. that's, you know, so, that's when you're really being tested and saying, am I going to give you because I've, I love you enough to give it to you? And, you know, I've been doing it long enough. It's not hard. I just look at the check. Okay, God, here's yours. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've always blessed me when I had nothing. You're, you're blessing me now that I have something, and I'm going to keep giving keep it. Is, and then he turns to her, and he says to her, "It is not meant to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs." Now there are a lot of people in here that will interpret that that he called her a dog. <laughs> okay. Now it would not have been uncommon for you to call a gentile, but if you look at this, that is not what he has said here. <laughs> he says it is not right to take the food that belongs on the table. And cast it to the animals at the, on the floor. All right? He's saying, I was sent to them first. They get, they get, they get to eat. <laughs> they get to eat this food. It belongs to them. That would be like cooking your steak and then walking over to the dog's dish and, and throwing your steak that belongs for the family into the dog's dish. That's what Jesus is saying here. We're cooking this feast. We're not, we're not dumping it into the dog's dish for the dogs to eat. And her answer, yes Lord, truly yet the dogs eat the crumbs that are on the table. Now you have to understand, even in this picture, dogs in this day were not the pets that we have. Okay? They're, they are not the, the pet that sits on the on the, on your lap on the on the couch or sleeps in the bed with you and and you go and buy treats they're at best working animals. You know, you might you might be attached with them, but you know, it wasn't even so long ago, even in our country, a pet was a working animal. it died, it was just a tool that you used and you replaced it. It was not, you know, sorry, you know, sorrow and all those things. It was this was just a tool on the farm to herd the sheep, to herd the cattle, to to guard the chicken the chicken coop. Yes, you might get a little attached to it, you know, because it was there, but you know, it wasn't uncommon. It wasn't until the urbanization of our country that pets became what we consider pets. You know, your best friend, part of the family. You know, and I know lots of people, and I know people get mad when I say that uh, my pets are not part of the family. I I love my dog, but he is not part of the family. He is a. My wife will call him our child and everything. I go, no, I've got four kids. My dog is not, <laughs> not the pet. And if they were a guard dog, you kept them just hungry enough to be anxious to go out and and scour and let you know that something was, was in the area. So we gotta picture this. This isn't the pet dog that sits in her lap that, he's talk, that they're talking about, All right? This is a dog who's just barely tamed enough to be, be in your midst, has been trained to be a watchdog, guard dog, whatever. And but she's saying, Lord, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the table you, know, you got a picture you got a picture that she's been ignored by Jesus for a period of time long enough for the disciples to get tired of her calling out. Now how long that was I don't know but you know 5 minutes, hour, 2 hours, who knows how long he's ignored her while she's been crying behind them. Then he rebuffs her saying she's not even that he's not even sent to them. Then she worships him and begs him. And then he goes well it's not fit to even give, you know, the food goes to the to the children not not to the dogs. What faith this woman has! What persistence this woman has! You know, to keep seeking after him, and she's a great picture of what we need to be doing with God. God, I need your help. You're the only one that can get me through this. Help me. And this is her doing it. And she goes, "Well, you know, even the dogs get to eat. You know, they they they, they, they sit right under the table under the kids. Anybody who's had a kids and dogs know that that's exactly what the pet dog does." You know, I know this kid's going to drop food, and I'm going to be right here. There's no five-second rule in this house. It's, (laughs) it falls, and I've got it. (laughs) And basically, that's what she's saying to to him. You know, hey, even the the kids spilled that stuff, and it belongs to the dogs. Give me the crumbs. You don't have to give me the, the steak. Give me the fat that they're going to cut off the steak. You know, give me the bone that nobody's going to eat. Huh? Well, that's not what this is talking about. Don't go there. That's you know, saying, sending your good after bad, after bad. This is, she's saying, she's saying here, just I'll take, I'll take even the scraps. You don't have to give me the steak. You don't have to give me the potato. Give me the bone of the steak and give me the potato skin. Uh, you know, give me the stock that nobody wants. I don't care, just give me the scraps. I'll take whatever you're willing to do. Because even the animals get to have the, the leftovers. I'll take the leftovers. You don't have to give me the main course. Just give me a scrap. Give me this one little one little thing. And I've always been amazed at her faith and others' faith when they when they've gone through this kind of thing. Just I'm gonna keep persisting. I'm gonna after it. Ruth when, when Naomi says why Home, go back to your gods, go back to your family. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. I've chosen your God. I'm going to follow him, even though it means that we're going to be poor together. I am going to choose your God. And she was of the Moabites. They weren't even supposed to be coming to God. And how does God reward her f- faith and her determination? Uh, a person from a nation that's not even supposed to become a, a, a Jew is in the line of the Messiah. You know, what grace God gives, and this is what she's saying. She's going, yeah, I just want your grace. I want your grace. And Jesus answered and said to her, "O oh, woman, great or mega, you know, not even just great, but overly great, is your faith. Be it unto you as you will." And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. You can just picture his heart just going out to this person. Have you ever met somebody who is just so persistent for God that your heart just poured out to them? I've met a few of them. They just loved God so much, and you're going, God, I want you to see you bless them just because of how much they're seeking after you. And this woman just kept being persistent. Well, I know I know you're sent to them, but... <laughs> okay, yeah, I know, I know the food belongs to them, but... You know, you're God. You, you've got more than enough. More than enough? Just give me, the, give me a small scrap of God, and I'll take it. I'll take a small morsel. All I want is to see her, see her healed. I don't even care if you do anything else, but heal my daughter. I think she probably got much more than just the healing of her daughter. Because isn't that what God does when he moves in our life? It's much more than the blessing that we've asked for. It always is. Jesus said that none of you have given up father, mother, son, or daughter that won't get much more in return. And we see this every time. Every time you give something up to God, the blessing in return is so much more. And it's kind of amazing because no matter how often we've gone through it, we think, okay, God, I'm giving this up. I really like doing this. I'm really not wanting to give it up, but I'm going to give it up because you asked. And then a year or two later, you look back and say, man, why why was I so slow? I've given that up. I'm not missing it at all. And look what he's replaced it with. And yet, we seem to be slow to release things to God. Now, one of the things I've learned is as I get older, I get more mature, it's getting easier to turn things over to God because I've seen so many times that he is blessed. So I'm now coming and go, okay, God, I really like that, but you can have it. (laughs) I'm much quicker to give him the things he wants to be given now than I used to be. Not perfect every time, but I'm much faster at doing it than I used to be. And just say, God, it's yours. You've blessed every time. You've you've increased my faith. You've increased my walk with you every time you've asked for something. I've never missed anything you've asked asked for. You can have it, God. And he blesses. And he gives us more. So I'm sure she got much more than just the healing of her daughter. Because I can picture that. Oh, man, mom, the, the devil's gone. What happened? Well, I met Jesus. And, I, and he took that he took that demon. Well, who's Jesus? And I can almost guarantee you, they went back and saw Jesus. <laughs> yeah, her daughter's been healed, no longer vexed by a demon. She probably hung out and listened to his words, tried to follow what he was teaching, learn of him, maybe even proselytized into being a Jew at the time, because that's what she would have considered the necessary step. Uh, so blessed because of her persistence. Verse 29, and Jesus departed from thence and came nigh unto the Sea of Galilee, and went up unto a mountain and sat there. And a great multitude came to him, having those, with those that, them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb speak, and the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. So here we see. Everywhere Jesus goes, a multitude gathers. And you know, it kind of wonders how many sick people were there in Israel. And everywhere he goes, it says there's a multitude, and if, we're going to read that four thousand are going to be men are going to be in this multitude. Before that, there was five thousand in the multitude, and you know, everywhere he goes, there's a multitude of people to be healed. And it makes you wonder just how many sick people there were in that country. And when you're living apart from God, sicknesses do reign. Our country is starting to see that. We're getting a sicker and sicker population. The further we get from, from God and the less obedient we are to God's truth, the more consequences there are. And we're seeing a lot of sickness. You know, People who are having you know, the free sex revolution or suffering from all the STDs. We have so much food and we're so gluttonous that we have obesity is a huge problem. And part of obesity is diabetes that comes along with it. Uh, we have people that are into drugs and alcohol and because of their not being happy with God. And all of these things have consequences that lead to sickness. And I have a feeling that's exactly what was going on in this country at this time because they were not honoring God. And consequences. We talk about this over and over. Sin has consequences. Sin has consequences physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And we always have the consequences, and we will pay the consequence for our sin. Unless God supernaturally says, okay, you repented, I'm going to not have you suffer this. But usually we have to pay the consequences for the sin. And I would say 99 times out of 100, you're going to pay the consequence for your sin. On a rare occasion, God may say, "Okay, I'm going to, because you've repented enough. You know, you're really serious on your repent. I'm going to give you grace and not have you have consequences, or 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 not as severe, maybe. But there is consequence always. And it says he went on. He went up unto a mountain and sat there. And a great multitude came to him, and they brought lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and others. (laughs) Kind of kind of a catch-all. You know, we got." We got the people who can't walk we got the blind we got those who can't speak we got everybody who's been injured in some way whether it's by work or war and then if we haven't included them there were others that you know and that might have included demon demon possessed or all kinds of different anything else that might be out there any disease that might possibly be out there and in that day they had sexually transmitted diseases as well and Sex, sex was rampant in, that, in the Roman and, and Greek world, so it was not uncommon to have severe sexually transmitted diseases, especially when they couldn't do any treatment of them, and they just kept getting worse. So those, those kind of diseases, physical diseases, uh, pneumonias, uh, the flu, uh, asthmatics, you know, all these different things that you can think of, ulcers, uh, all these people would fall in that many others. And it says Jesus healed them. And and it says that they glorified the God of Israel. They recognized who the power was. And that is the most important thing for us. We need to lift Jesus up. When something goes right in our life, we need to give glory to God. When something goes wrong in our life, we need to give glory to God as well. Rejoice evermore. In everything, give thanks. We need to be understanding that God has a reason for everything that happens to us. And he says, he doesn't say to give thanks for the bad things, but to give thanks in the bad things. To give thanks for being in pain is a serious problem. (laughs) Okay, I am never thankful for being in pain. I'm thankful for what God can do through the pain that he's allowing me to go through. But I'm never thankful for the pain. That would make me crazy. (laughs) But I'm I'm thankful for what God may use that pain to do, whether it's to grow me, show himself off to somebody else by by his faithfulness that, that I'm going to show through it. But I can be thankful in the pain. I can be thankful that he's trusted me enough to allow me to suffer. And this is what the disciples said so often. We thank God that he has counted us worthy of suffering. Most Christians, especially in America, don't think that way. God, I'm suffering, there's something wrong. I'm not supposed to suffer. The prosperity gospel has got itself so stuck in our minds in America. And it's not always the wealth. It's, God, nothing wrong is supposed to go, be going on in my life. And you know, the prosperity gospel is not brand new. We've talked about this. This was a big deal for Job and Job's friends. You know, Job suffered with this whole problem of, I've been honoring God, I've been walking with God, nothing bad is supposed to be happening to me. And his friends had it worse than he did. He was at least willing to accept, you know, well, God, I don't understand this, but I'm going to accept that you have the right to do it. And then he had his wonderful friends come along, or disciples usually is what most people think, because he was the one that would have trained them. And they're coming back saying, Job, you obviously have done something wrong because bad things don't happen to good people. And Job saying, "Well, no, I've not been bad. I've offered sacrifices. I've done this, that, and the other thing. And I don't deserve what's coming my way." And then they would come back with them from another angle. Well, you know, Job, you, this doesn't happen to good people. So you must have done something bad. You know, how would you like to have friends doing that? Yeah. How many times have you have you been that friend to somebody in church? You know, if you were just following God, these things wouldn't be happening in your life. You know, you need to you need to get your life together because obviously you're not following God and doing. And listening to him you know, sometimes church can be the worst place to have problems because people will sit there and judge you and say uh, well, what's going on with you <laughs> you know how how bad have you been you know you, I thought you were a good person you know how how bad are you to have lost your car and three of your kids and and you lost your job all in the same month you know you must really be a wicked you must really be a wicked person and we laugh about that but you know We've either had it happen to us, maybe not to that severity, or done it to somebody maybe, especially when we were an immature Christian because we'd been getting blessed by God, blessed by God, and then we watched somebody that we thought was mature not being blessed by God and going, wow, you must really be a bad bad Christian for God to do this, this to happen to you. And we need to be careful with that. We are called to love one another, build one another up, and edify one another. And that's what we need to be doing. You know, Job's friends should have come to him and said, "You know, Job, we're so sorry for what you're going through. Is there any way we can help you?" Yeah, I've got a coat. Yeah, I've got a coat, you know, yeah. I've got a couple. I've got a couple. i got a male, a male, a ram, and three, three sheep. We'll start. We'll start helping you build your herds back up. You know. Uh, you know. We'll help pay your your doctor bill. You know, so that he can put. You know, get the right salve for you, whatever it might be. But instead, they judged him. You know, or they could have just said, you know, Job, we're so sorry, we're going to be praying for you. We don't know how to help you, but we're going to, we're going to pray for you. We need to be careful because we oftentimes get wrapped up in that kind of judgment of one another, and sometimes even ourselves. You know, and I've said, when something bad happens to you, first thing to do is look, is this punishment for something I've done? But don't dwell on that. You've got to understand, in Job's case, job is a righteous man Every, he is the epitome of what a righteous man supposed to look like he's blessed he has plenty he's offering sacrifices. look at that first verse he he makes sacrifices for his children now that, nobody ever said make sacrifices for your children but he's making sacrifices for his children why in case while they were partying and drinking that they sinned and cursed god in their heart i'm going to offer a sacrifice this is how much he is reaching out so as far as that goes, he is, as far as people look at, he is the epitome of a righteous man. All right? And they might be envious of that position. And envy is wanting something so bad that you wish bad things upon that person. Your friend at work gets promoted instead of you, and you're going, I should have had that job. I'm a better better worker, and you really know that that person deserved it, but you just get so envious you cannot be happy for them. Your best friend gets a brand-new car, and you're and you're just so envious that you can't be happy because they got a car. That's what envy is all about. Well, they might have been afraid. Oh, because right. and everything you wanted I mean, and all of a sudden you had nothing and they didn't know why. Yeah. They didn't understand why. It, it, it was contrary. Be happy for their blessings. Be ready to lift them up. That is what true love of, in Christian world is that I'm willing to say you got blessed, praise God. Good for you and mean it. Not just say it, but actually, literally mean it. But you know, you know, Job's friends probably were worried. Here's a man who taught us, he's the epitome of what righteousness is, and you know, what did he do that made him fall so much? So there's a huge issue in that whole aspect of, if God's gonna do this to Job, what, what's gonna happen to me? And, they, and it violated their theology. And God is good at challenging our bad theology. If you have bad theology in your mind and in your heart, he will set up circumstances that will challenge your theology. If you're into the prosperity gospel that if you follow God, you're supposed to be blessed, be ready to lose a bunch of stuff and have you challenged. If you have problems with loving people and thinking you're better, be ready to have yourself challenged for God to show you how you're no better than the people that you're judging. God will challenge our theology always. And even when it's proper, he's going to challenge it and say, do you truly believe it? Okay, getting you your blessing at the last possible moment when you've, when you've honored him and you've given that tithe check that you didn't think you could afford, and you go, okay, God, here, here's your money. I really can't afford it. And at the last moment when the bill is due, <laughs> you get the gift, you get the, the job, you get whatever. And God will do this because he wants to say, do you believe? Do you trust? And when you start taking one of my favorite scriptures, all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God, and you truly believe that, be ready for the challenge that says, do you really believe that this is going to be for good? And sometimes it's hard. And as I said, the the more mature you are in Christ, the harder the test will be, because you are more experienced and you need to be tested at a higher level. And I use school as our example all the time. If you're taking a math test as a kindergartner, you're basically learning to count. If you're in second or third grade, you're learning to multiply and divide. If you're in uh, high school, you're learning algebra. And if you give an algebra student a, a addition test, they're gonna look at you and say, what, are you insulting me? God does the same thing with us. If we've got a equivalent of a high school education and maturity level with God, he's not giving you an elementary school test. Because you'd look at him and say, you wouldn't even think of it as a test. You'd just, okay, God, what was that? You know, that wasn't even a speed bump in, in the road. He's gonna give you a test that says, do you truly believe at the level that you're believing? Same thing happens if you've got a college, a doctorate, whatever whatever level you are with God, your test is equivalent with where you are with them. Otherwise it's not a test. It's not a test. You know, I could be curling this pen all day long. I mean I you know, look how strong my muscles gonna get. I'm curling this uh, you know, quarter ounce pen, whatever this pen is, you know, you know, my muscles might get tired after a while just by moving. I'm not gonna get strong <laughs> curling this pen. Now, if I put a bar in there and I put 20 pounds of weight in there, I'd get it curled one time if I was lucky. <laughs> now, you give it to my son, he'd be curling it 30 or 40 times before he tires out. Why? Because he's worked out with weights. He's, he's built himself up on that. You know, the tests that we go through with God will be equivalent to our level of trust. Why did Job's t- test have to be so hard? shows you how much he trusted God and how much he believed in God his test had to be enough to really test Job and it came close to breaking him really did especially when his friends kept telling him how bad he must be and his theology was challenged God uh, I've been good I don't understand this and God will challenge your theology he will uh, challenge your understanding of him when God tested Job it was a test for Job test for his friends, and a picture to Satan. Three people were being taught in one lesson. Satan's trying to make him fall. And even if Job had fallen, Satan still would have lost because God would have graciously picked up Job and restored him anyway because of his grace and his mercy. Satan was going to lose no matter what happened. Satan's pretty foolish. He keeps giving these tests out so God can show His grace and His mercy to those who fail. And He keeps doing it. Now, when you the definition of insanity is to do the same thing and expect a different result, Satan is really insane. He keeps trying to knock down God's saints so that God can show them grace if they fail, and rub it in His face when they don't fail. I told you. See, I told you He would. He would be. Oh, they failed. Okay, Satan, watch me. You know, here you go. Here's your bath. Here's your new clothes. Satan loses either way we win no matter we fail or win because God's going. we're gonna understand God's grace and when we win we grow and we go God thank you thank you for getting me through this through this those who are watching us get to see especially when we are faithful they get to see how a Christian supposed to walk and even when we fail they get to see God's grace in action which will encourage them to step out The greatest thing about God is even if you fall flat on your face, which you won't, because you will fall into his hands, according to David, His hands are underneath us. So if we fall, we fall into His hands, and He picks us up and puts us right back. So even if we fall, He rescues us, puts us back up, cleans us up, and says, This is my child. See, you didn't you didn't win, and it shows God's grace and his mercy and his love and his obedience and how much he, how much he wants and desires for us. We're at the, almost the end. I wanna read one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. It's in Zechariah 3. Zechariah, if you don't know where it is, it's about the fourth book in from the back of the, <laughs> the Old Testament. Verse three, uh, chapter three, verse one. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. Even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. So this is how we see him in his flesh. Satan is accusing him. And he answered and spoken to those that stood before him saying, take away the filthy garments from him and unto him, and, and unto him he said, Behold, I have caused your iniquity to pass from before you, and I will clothe you with a change of raiment. And, he, and I said, Let them set a fair mitre on his head. So they set a fair mitre on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord stood by. And the angel of the Lord protested to Joshua, saying, We're going to keep going on. But this is the picture of what God does before Satan. Satan comes along and he's accusing us. We're standing in filthy garments, our own righteousness. And Satan's accusing us and accusing us, and God turns to the angel and said, "Okay, take away the old, the old garments and put on the righteousness of Christ. Put on the garment. Put on the headgear of the of the high of the priest." And then you can picture him turning to Satan, "Okay, Satan, what, what, what was your problem? Well, what, what, what was it that you wanted to accuse this person of?" We need to really understand who we are in Christ. When we are saved. God strips the right, our, our own filthy rags off of us and puts on the righteousness of Christ. And then Satan comes along and he says, Well, you know, this person has done this, that, and the other thing. And he goes, uh, All I see is the righteousness of my son. What are you talking about? What's your, what, what's your beef with this person? We need to really start understanding. If we can really start seeing ourselves for who God sees and says we are, it will change the way we behave. It will change the way we react to people. It will change the way we react to Satan when he accuses. And Satan always will stand there and try to condemn us. You're just such a terrible person. You know, you had five opportunities yesterday to share the gospel, and you didn't share it once. You're a terrible, awful Christian. What, how could you even call yourself a Christian? You, know, you had an opportunity to give a gift to God yesterday, and you didn't do it. You know, you're a terrible, awful person. And we need to be able to say, you know what, Satan, you're absolutely right. I am a terrible and awful person, but God has forgiven me and clothed me in the righteousness of Christ. And he says, I'm perfect. And I'm going to walk in that perfection because he's forgiven me. And I'll get better. I'll start start doing the things that I'm supposed to do. And as I mature, we start doing better. Will we ever get to where we need to be? Absolutely not. If we manage to do it, we would be like Enoch, and we, and we would all of a sudden say, God's calling us, Well, we're, we're so close together, why don't you just come on up here and rapture us immediately from this world? He's going to rapture us sooner or later, hopefully sooner than later, but <laughs> there's going to come that time when we're going to be taken. But until then, it's to grow. We're to grow. And I emphasize this a lot. Our spiritual walk is a growth from birth to maturity just as our real bodies need time to grow and learn. And in each area of our life, we're going to need to grow. In some areas, we may still be an infant. Some areas, we may be, have our doctorate degree. We've got that area, God's really tested us in that area. We got, it. we got it down pat, but this other area, we have trouble with. And God will keep testing us, and keep growing us, and keep, keep moving us along. And we need to be aware. We each fail, always. I still fail more than I'd like to think. And many times I'll get to the end of the day and go, Man, I really blew this day. I, I could have talked to this person. They, said, they set up the conversation just right and I didn't even see it. Sometimes I'm pretty dense when it comes to come, conversing with people. But, you know, God says, That's okay, confess it. I'm going to give you more opportunities. I'm going to give you more opportunities to do the right thing. I'm going to give you more opportunities to study more about me, to get to know me more, to be able to walk closer to me in your walk and just say, I want to do this. God, help me grow. But in the end, God will do just this. Okay, Satan, uh, hold on. One moment before you get to your accusation. Angel, clean this guy. I'll clean my son up. Give him the new, new, new uh, clothing. Okay, Satan, what was your, <laughs> what was your complaint, Satan? <laughs> Uh, what were you going to say about this uh, wonderful perfect child of mine standing here and he closes his mouth okay. the other way to look at it is Jesus our advocate telling the father I've paid for that it's forgiven every time Satan makes his accusation I paid for it the more we understand it's paid for it's by grace nothing that I do is going to make God look at me any better now, when he works through me, I will be rewarded. If I'm doing the work, God's going to say, okay, it was okay, but it's, it's you. No flesh will stand before God. When I do the work in my own strength, God's going to say, that burns up. It's wood, hay, and stubble. It may be wood. It may be pretty substantial. Some people might even have got gold or silver out of it, especially as a teacher or a pastor. There may be times when I'm doing wood because I'm doing it in my... my and my thing, but people are receiving gold and silver because they have a different attitude in, about what they're receiving. I don't get rewarded, they do. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm listening to God, and it, I'm getting rewarded while other people are getting rewarded. But you know, we've got to do everything through Him, and just let Him lead. Him guide. He gets lifted up. Jesus said, "If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me." Our job is just to lift Jesus up. When we share the gospel, that's what we're sharing, the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. You deserve punishment because you're a sinner, but Jesus died on the cross so that you could go to heaven. Lift him up. Oh, you need healing, let's pray for you. God, in Jesus' name, we ask for this person to be healed. I love to pray for people to get healed. And I have seen so many healings over over my lifetime. So many. Some very small, non-significant, some very major. Prayed for one person back a while ago who was on the heart transplant list, and he came running in church the next week, running all over the place, saved, and he was taken off the heart transplant list. I prayed for one of my, my nephew one time who was having a severe asthma attack and asked God to take the attack away, and God took it away. You know, I've seen miraculous healings. I've seen prayer for just pain and having the pain taken away. Does every prayer for healing get answered? No. But I've had a lot of them answered. I love to see God working and lifting him up because it is so special. It's so special to see God work in people's lives and to lift him up and let people watch him. And I hope that that's what I always do in all these Bible stories is lift him up. I don't want to be lifted up. I'm not that great. <laughs> I want people to grow in Christ and follow him. I will say, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ because for the most part I try to follow him. When I'm not following, don't follow me. (laughs) I don't wanna lead people in the wrong direction. But when I am following him, seek after him and follow. Have people look at you and say, follow me as I'm following Christ because I want to do what God wants me to do. Lift him up. When people are are looking at you, lift Jesus up. Lift him up and say, it's all him. He's the one that is special. He's the one that we wanna lift up. Because he's the one that deserves it all. Because he's the one that allows the high priest to have his garments stripped off, filthy garments stripped off, and be clothed in the brand new, fresh, righteous garments. The righteousness of Christ. And that's how we stand when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He strips off the old, puts on the new, and says, you're a new creation. Keep walking with me. Just as the prodigal son returned. Father, I'm not worthy to be your child. You're my son. kill the kill the cow we're gonna have a the, we're gonna have a feast you put a put a ring on his finger a ring was a signal of the family family and put the garment the robe on him his my son has returned So he, God greets us my my child has returned they've wallowed around in sin and despair and now they're back and he gives them everything that's part of the family all the signet ring and the power with the clothing and says we're gonna have a party says that the angels rejoice when one lost one comes to the Lord. And you know, we've got a great party coming up. The marriage supper of the Lamb. When the church is raptured out of here, and we have seven-year party with God and come back as his, as, as his bride and with him to rule for the millennial kingdom. Big party. Seven-year seven year party. Well, the world goes through all kinds of craziness. But we'll have a party because that was the Jewish wedding ceremony. Their ceremony lasted seven days. And we see the picture of it. And we will see the rapture of the church, the marriage supper of the Lamb while the world's going through tribulation. And we will come back with him as his bride with perfection. We will have our glorified bodies when we come back to the millennial kingdom. And we won't be tempted to sin. We've made our decisions. And that'll be a great time. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this. Lord, if there's anybody listening that doesn't know you, we ask that you touch their hearts. Convince them that they are a sinner that's destined for hell and that you paid that price and that you are the answer and have them just in, uh, repent of their sins and turn to you. Lord, give us opportunities to share you as we go about our business the rest of this week. In Jesus' name, amen.